0: to the sermon podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from the Triune God. Amen. So one of the most frustrating things for me are, are things that I have to keep doing over and over again uh, to try to, you know, reach some kind of solution. Uh, for example, right now, um, there are a lot of folks in the congregation, uh, myself included, who are doing this thing called January Whole um, 30. If you don't know what it is, it's this diet challenge or cleanse, really, uh, you eliminate processed foods, you detox your body from foods that most commonly cause problems. Uh, it's not a New Year's resolution. It's a, a revolution, says the website. <laughs> <laughs> and just wait, uh, come February, February, I'm going to be thin, uh, my cravings for chocolate and pie will be gone and emotional eating will be a thing of the past. A boy can dream. (laughs) Well, here's the rub. Probably like most of you on Whole30 and any of you in the congregation, this isn't my first rodeo. I've done this before. Um, About four years ago, I was like deep in paleo, CrossFit world, like the evangelical type. Uh, And during a visit with my mother, I was telling her how amazing I felt and how paleo would save me from a host of ills and... Her eyes certainly glazed over. She said, sounds great. You know, I hope you can stick with it. (laughs) And I cockily responded, oh, don't worry. There's no way I'll ever stop. I feel too good to go back to the ways I was eating before. And you know, I totally meant it. Like, I was totally on this pink cloud, and I really couldn't imagine abandoning that new lifestyle. And yet, within months, I was back to eating entire pints of Ben and Jerry's and having pie for breakfast. Um, it's a it's a common story, I'm sure, one uh, I think some of you share. There, you know, there are many things in my life that I've hoped for for a permanent, one-time solution. Uh, problems with food, addiction to drugs and alcohol, struggles with depression and anxiety. Yeah, with all of them, I've had to start over time and time again, recovery, relapse, reboot. But today, uh, at the feast of the baptism of our Lord, we're here to celebrate the one solution that we don't have to do over and over again. Baptism. Unlike a diet or getting sober or the commitment to making your bed every day, uh, baptism always takes. It has a 100% success rate. And it's perhaps the only solution that we have that doesn't have to be repeated. In fact, it should not be ever repeated. Over the centuries, the overwhelming majority of Christians have unwavered that the sacrament of baptism is a one-time thing, period. Our commitment to one baptism is so strong that if someone comes to me and is like, hey, I want to be baptized, but there's a small chance my parents had me baptized as an infant, I'd have no choice but to offer them this weird thing called conditional baptism. Uh, It's this bizarre church loophole where the pastor says something like, Amy or Stuart, if you have not already been baptized, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Uh, The refusal of the church to re-baptize, though, it it totally pissed me off when I joined the Episcopal Church several years ago. I badly wanted to be re-baptized, even though, you know, I had been baptized as a Baptist at eight. I had made the decision. But I had wanted to feel cleansed, you know, detoxed from the impurities of my past, the pity and hatred I once felt for non-Christians, from the homophobia I experienced and internalized, and from some really awful liturgical dancing. (laughs) You know, with the flags and all that stuff. (laughs) But but with my new progressive Christian zeal, I completely missed what baptism is at its core, which is the unequivocal crystal-clear, once-and-for-all pledge of God's love and forgiveness. Baptism is the sign that God's favor for her creation is absolute and unchanging. In a world in which we neurotically bang our heads against the wall, trying time and time again, chasing after a perfection that is not possible, baptism is the promise that God's love is a done deal. One baptism is offered once and for all to free us from the anxiety that maybe we got it wrong. That what if I I mess it all up if I'm like decide to be polyamorous or what about those years that I was a staunch atheist or when I slapped my kids so hard it left a bruise like what if that undid God's love for me and I need to get rebaptized. No, you know, in baptism, we are marked as Christ's own forever done. And thank God, because if I could get baptized over and over, I'd be freaking out all the time. (laughs) Like every time I cursed out the driver in front of me, I'd be like, Brian, get the bottle of water. (laughs) Emergency baptism. (laughs) 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 Like, because trusting that God's love for us is unconditional and unchanging, is hard. In fact, I'd say it's impossible for us to believe all the time, without a doubt, that God loves us no matter what. Many of your responses to my sermon, crowdsourcing question on Facebook, revealed this. It's just too hard to believe all the time. And thus, one baptism stands as the firm unshakable center that calls us back over and over to remember that God's promises stand forever. But, you know, the belief in one baptism and the foreverness of God's grace are parts of our faith that collectively uh, we struggle to hold on to across the centuries. I know this because I grew up in a Baptist tradition where there was a lot of anxiety about the finality of baptism and they practiced rebaptism. In fact, when I was about eight years old, we were sitting in church and they were doing the altar call. And my mother got up and walked forward. I was so confused. My mother had shaped my faith more than anyone else. And I had heard her story of being baptized as an eight-year-old girl. But there she was walking down the aisle. And within a couple weeks, uh, I watched my mom step down into a giant baptistry and be baptized with the same words that others were being baptized. I remember going home and asking her, why are you being rebaptized?" And she had lost uh, her first child. Uh, I was the first that uh, was born healthily. And she said that she turned her back on God so much that she felt like her relationship with God was... So drastically altered that she had to start over from scratch. You know, I remember feeling sad. You know, although I was very young, I remember feeling this, this deep sadness about her rebaptism. I, rem- I remember feeling sad that she would feel that God would hold her feelings against her. I felt sad that she believed it was possible. For her to create a rift between herself and God, a rift so profound that it nullified the love God had shown on her before. But, but I get it, you know, I don't judge my mother for her decision. She's not alone. What my mother experienced is what happens when we fall into the trap of believing that bas- baptism has anything to do with us as individuals And that it somehow moves us as individuals from a state of sin to a state of grace completely, but as individuals. You know, even St. Paul got caught up in the belief that baptism transforms us as individuals. And that to continue to reap the benefits of baptism, we must find a way to be sinless until death. This idea has led millions over history to do things like postpone baptism until their deathbed you know, like this crafty loophole they discovered so that they could remain sinless between baptism and their last breath, you know. God won't notice, you know. (laughs) Well, you know, here's the scoop. That loophole doesn't work. It doesn't work because postponing baptism or repeating baptism or any other attempt to cleanse ourselves white as snow, they don't need to work. The baptism that Jesus offers is one that has nothing to do with what we do as individuals. But it has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. You see, we've, we've all already been baptized. Whether or not you've been dunked or sprinkled or nothing at all, there's not a person in this room who hasn't already been baptized. John the Baptist tells us this in today's gospel when he says, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I is coming. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The baptism John speaks of was accomplished on the cross. When Jesus took all of our accounting of sin, all of our obsession with perfection and purity, Jesus took all of this and exchanged He breathed the fire of grace and the love of the Holy Spirit on the whole world. At the cross, Jesus baptized all of us into salvation, into the salvation of God, and there's nothing that we can do to change that. And so when we step into the waters of baptism in the church, we're pointing to a baptism that truly has already been accomplished It's not a baptism that has to be repeated. It's absolute, unconditional, and free for the whole world. And so when we say yes to baptism with water, we are saying yes, I see. Yes to the greater universal baptism that is already true and already accomplished. And so today... I offer, the church offers, God offers, this baptism of water to any who wish to claim this truth for yourselves. Right here, right now, there's no preparation, there's no class, there are no requirements, just come. I'll be at my seat during open space, come grab me, and after open space, we'll baptize you. And for all who have already been baptized into the waters of Christ, which is all of us, we will reaffirm that God's promises are always and forever true. Amen.